give a real good lakeside welcome, Steve Fry, and make sure you introduce Nancy. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Phil. It's always great to be with all of you folks here at Lakeside, and um, as Pastor said, I, I have the better, the better half this time with me. I don't always get the chance to travel with Nancy, but uh, honey, would you mind standing and just greeting everybody? And this is my wife, Nancy. Just welcome her. Yep. So good to be here. Hey, I was going to ask, I'm going to go to the piano. Are you up? I mean, you've heard a lot of great music. Wasn't this choir amazing? You know, we love, Nancy and I love choirs. We love, 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 love choirs. And, um, and it was just very, very, very moving to hear the choir this morning. I want to say thank you. But also, are you, are, are you up for some more music? Is, are, we, are, you, are you musicked out? All right. I need to ask a question of our, of our sound technicians. Can, I know this is being mic'd. Can I actually lower this? Okay, hold on, because I couldn't see the first service. All I could see was this, so I'm going to lower this. Give me, give me two seconds to do that. While I'm doing that, um, why don't you turn to somebody and just say something meaningless, okay, while I'm doing this. Oh, that's better. Much better. I can see people. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I have a chance to do now and again is to write songs. Um, I don't write that much anymore. Uh, I used to write a lot. But um, just recently I've um, written a couple things. I'm going to teach them, teach them to you. I'm going to teach this song to you. And then, uh, and then I'll give you a little story behind it. It goes like this. It's called Lifter. Praises, praises in my heart, praises in my heart. For you, Holy Spirit, fill me up, Spirit, fill me up anew. Awaken my heart again, raising me from the Jesus, my living hope, and the lifter of my head. You could try it with me right from the beginning. Praises. Praises. Praises in my heart. Praises in my heart for you. Jesus, my living hope, and 
I go further, let me, let me tell you a little story behind this. So a year ago, um, I wrote um, a, a good part of this song, but I went to a friend of mine who's one of our worship leaders there in our, our church back home. His name is Galen, and uh, he used to be an artist, and uh, now he uh, does a lot of producing, about 25 years of age, and recently he did his own worship record as well. Well, um, we did this song together. I said, Galen, can you help me uh, co-write this? And so we wrote this song, and uh, we, we felt it was very encouraging to people. We played it a few times, and people seemed to respond really well. Well, about um, four months ago, uh, Galen gets a call from his, his producer. Now, his producer lives in Minneapolis now, but, um, but the, uh, his producer, Mike, Mark Heimerman, did uh, DC Talk and, and a lot of DC Talk stuff and a lot of Michael W.'s stuff back in the days, and now he uh, freelances and produces up in Minneapolis. So, so Mark had produced Galen's uh, couple of uh, solo albums uh, two or three years ago. Mark is in Minneapolis, and he is in a Chinese restaurant and he starts hearing one of Galen's songs called Sleepyhead, which was this song that he wrote on one of his, on one of his solo albums before he did this worship record. And so he said, hey, I'm hearing this song, your song, on Chinese radio here in a Chinese restaurant. Well, come to find out, his song Sleepyhead has been streamed 10 million times in China. He is outstreaming Justin Bieber, and Taylor Swift and everybody, just everybody. So, which is cool, okay. Like he's 25 years old, right? Well, the other thing, he, 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 so, so Galen starts figuring this out and, and he says, man, this is really incredible. I wonder what's going on. Well, he had done this worship album and on this worship album, he had recorded Lifter, the song that we wrote last year. And he called me a few months ago and he said, you're not gonna believe this. You're not gonna believe this, but Lifter, Lifter is the second most streamed song of mine in all of China. It has been streamed a million times all over China. Churches everywhere are singing it. And, and I just was kind of dumbstruck by all this, you know? But the cool thing is when he was on tour, he just got back from China about a month ago, and when he was, when he was in Beijing doing his last concert, 2,000 mostly university students in a club, most of them unbelievers, the very end, came out to do a second encore, and he said, what do you want, what would you want to hear? And very slowly, but very steadily, this chant began to build, lifter, 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 lifter. Unbelievers by the, by the thousands upon thousands hearing this one simple worship song about how the Lord can indeed lift us to a place of life. So with that background, why don't you sing it with me again and let the Lord lift you into fresh places, fresh life, fresh joy, fresh peace in his name. Praises, praises in my heart, praises in my heart for you. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Spirit, fill me up anew. Awaken my heart again. You're raising me from the dead. 
Jesus, my living hope, and the lifter of my head. Try the second verse. My soul trembles at your voice, sweetly trembles when you draw me near. Rest beneath your wings, perfect love casts out all fear. Awaken my heart again, you're raising me from the dead. To Jesus, my living hope, and the lifter of my middle part goes, I pour my life out to you. I pour my life out to you, to you. I pour my life. Let him lift the bird. 
you're walking through, whatever you're going through, if you are experiencing trauma in your family, trauma in your life, if you're experiencing disease in your body, if you are, if you feel like life is just cascading and collapsing all around you and you don't know where to go, what to do, then I invite you to what Romans 4 says, hope against all hope. That's what Abraham did. He hoped against all hope. And regardless of the circumstances, he stood. Regardless of the circumstances, he stood in the faith of the knowledge of who God was. In the fortress, the strong tower that God was and is to us today. He is good. So as I sing this, if you need to claim his goodness afresh, I invite you to stand to your feet and sing it. He is good, he is good. And your love endures. You are good, you are good. And your love endures. You are good, you are good. And your love endures today. You are good, you are good. And your love endures. You are good, you are good. And your love endures. You are good, you are good. And your love endures today. Awaken my heart again. You're raising me from the dead. To Jesus, my living hope. my living hope and the lifter of my head I pour my life out to
cries holy 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 and he saw the glory of the Lord fill that temple but his response was not just a glib let's sing another worship song his response was holy his response was I am undone holy his response was I am a man of unclean lips. Holy. His response was, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Holy. Oh, I tell you, friends, being in the holy presence of a, a holy God is the most refreshing thing there is. And Isaiah cried out, woe is me. Yes, he did. And we say, I don't know that I want to get that close to God's holiness. I tell you what, friends. Within 30 seconds of Isaiah saying, woe is me, he was saying, send me, send me. Now, what would make a person go from woe is me to send me in a few seconds flat? I tell you, it's because being in the presence of a holy God is the most satisfying thing you will ever, ever, ever know. You were made for it. You were made for it. You were made to draw near to his presence. You were made to bask in his glory. You were made to just lie before him, stand before him, and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, over and over again. You're made for this. You're made for the transcendent. You're made for the glorious. You're made for the holy. You're made to cry. You're made to cry, holy. You're made to be at home in the holy, not afraid or intimidated by the holy. So let's sing. Holy, you are holy. Show me your glory. 
your hands out to the Lord right now. Everyone, everyone, whether you're standing or seated, reach your hands out to the Lord, to the Lord. Let him draw you near. Let him draw you near. Lay aside all weights. Lay aside all fear. Lay aside all care. For he cares for you. Lay aside all weight. Lay aside all fear. Lay aside all cares. For he cares for you. Alleluia. Alleluia. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Alleluia. Alleluia. For the Lord God Almighty harassing you? What is harassing you, says the Lord? What is intimidating you? For is not my power and my grace, is not the effectual work of my Holy Spirit within you more than enough to meet every harassment, every intimidation, every obstacle, every single weapon of war formed against you? Surely, says the Lord, I am your God. Surely, says the Lord, I am your rear guard. Surely, says the Lord, I am your front guard. Surely, says the Lord, I am the one who goes before you to make way before you. Surely, says the Lord, I am he who walks beside you. 
I am he who covers you. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He is all around. And his love endures. He is all around. And his love endures. He is all around. And his love endures for you today. This is what the world is longing for, is to really know that there is a God and that his presence is life and joy and peace everlasting. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. I do have a... We're going to come back. and Before we close, we're going to come back. Don't, don't leave this place. I do have just a few things I want to share f with you from my heart, but we're going to come back before we close to this place of song and commit ourselves afresh to the Lord. So if you're seated, do this. If you're standing, you can do this too. Find three or four folks, either seated or standing, and say, the peace of Jesus be with you. And then the other person say, and also with you. Just, just so you know, um, I have CDs. Not these new songs, Give Me a Heart and uh, Lifter, they haven't been recorded yet. But um, I try, I'm going to try to get them done later this year and get them on my website. But there are other CDs. The We Are Called CD is back there. And, and um, the I Am Devotional, the 40-Day Devotional, talks about the character of God. And, and I, again, I say this when I have a chance to travel. I just, I just tell people, getting to know God is the best thing there is. Just knowing Him. Knowing, knowing, knowing Him. Also, you know, I forgot. I forgot this. Uh, let me say, I've got one of these. If you, it, any, any, any folks do Bible studies here? You actually lead Bible studies? Anybody here that actually lead Bible studies? A few of you? Okay. So I've got this one thing. This is a study on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the um, poor in heart. Blessed are those who mourn. It's called The Best Way Forward. There's one workbook, and there's nine, nine 20-minute DVDs, and it's, it's for group Bible studies. So I've got... One, just one copy. Anybody wants that? Um, that's there. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to indulge you, or I'm going to ask to be indulged a little bit this morning, uh, this last service, something I didn't do, Pastor, uh, on the first, the first service. I want to share something, and then I have a word for you. I was in prayer for Lakeside about four days ago, and a simple word that the Lord gave me for you. I want to I want to set it up by sharing with you um, a statement. Many of us as pastors, when things go 
terribly wrong in our country when we face situations that seem intolerable, when trauma seems at every hand. There are times that pastors, it's important for pastors to make statements about these things and to provide some measure of guidance to the body of Christ. And after the uh, horrific killings a few weeks ago of uh, an African-American in Baton Rouge and then again in St. Paul, followed by the shooting of police in Dallas and then later in Baton Rouge and some of what we're seeing, I, I, I felt compelled to make a statement to our congregation. I want to share it with you. Responding to the recent events of violence, first as a kingdom citizen, I am not coming as one who has answers or seeking to be perceptive. I am simply trying to first respond as a kingdom citizen before I respond as an American. As a kingdom citizen, I am called first to be with people without judgment, without a hidden agenda. We know Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. That's always God's response to human heartbreak. He simply comes to be with us. Sometimes we don't understand why. Sometimes we want somebody to blame, but God is with people. Compassion without any agenda is always the first response of a kingdom citizen to tragedy and suffering. Still, I am a kingdom citizen before I am an American. And as such, I must see the events of this past week with kingdom eyes, not just American eyes. Racism and violence are intolerable. But I suggest that these are symptoms. The root cause of the disease is the long-accepted choice to abandon the idea of absolute truth and consequently absolute law. For law to really be law, it has to have some external source. Law as a rule of the majority cannot ultimately be law that is lasting because people change. For example, if a majority decide what lives are sacred, then it is possible that in the future the lives of the elderly may not be deemed sacred if a majority decides that this is so. Ultimately, law must come from outside. Law cannot be the subjective feelings of a majority of people. It must be an objective standard that is unchanging if it is to be impartial. I don't expect secularists to even understand, let alone agree. And I'm, not, I'm not judging them when I say that. I am saying that the premise of an external source, God, to the construction of law leads to a completely different worldview than that shared by many. But if we accept the principle that law ultimately comes from God, then we can, as Christians, have a conversation amongst ourselves that goes to a deeper issue than all other social and political issues. As a kingdom citizen, I cannot ignore the long-term issue of our nation's abandonment of absolute truth and a culture of accountability that comes with that and spend a disproportionate amount of time pursuing short-term political fixes. We have shunned absolutes. We have thus lost the foundation of an unchanging system of laws and have consequently created a culture devoid of accountability. We are increasingly becoming lawless. The Apostle Paul understood that lawlessness was the root of a society's disease. When there are no consistent consequences to violations of morality, when people are not held accountable for their actions and attitudes, then we have a growing state of lawlessness. But lawlessness is seen right under our nose with both political candidates. Hillary Clinton was lawless, not just careless in the matter of her email server, and she is not facing any consequences. Donald Trump has been lawless as well with careless remarks, and he too has not faced any consequences. We are not holding people to account, and we are reaping lawlessness. 
I am not saying that either candidate has the power to respond any other way because both candidates are not citizens of the kingdom. You can judge whether they are saved or not, but I can tell you they are not citizens of the kingdom because their behavior betrays them. They represent corruption that goes to the core of what is wrong. We are seeing lawlessness at the very top of our political food chain. Should we not expect greater lawlessness in our culture, whether the implicit racism of a rogue cop and I'm not honestly singing, singling out any one officer when I say this, or the calculated hatred of a sniper in Dallas. Should we not expect greater lawlessness in our society when we as churches are reluctant to develop a, a culture of accountability in our own ranks, where Christians can behave in ungodly ways without being held accountable? Accountability is woven into the very fabric of the planet. Remember, God put in place a system of accountability before sin infected the planet. He said, you may eat of these trees, but not this tree. And if you do, there are consequences. Accountability was a part of God's perfect world, not just a necessary response to human sinfulness. The New Testament has a phrase for accountability, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that Jesus is always and simultaneously love and Lord. How can we get angry over this social issue or that political shenanigan when so many professing Christians have never really bowed their knee to Jesus? If we as Christians don't discuss the implications of this and how we as Jesus followers should model a kingdom society in which we are truly living lives accountable to Jesus and to each other, rather than spend the bulk of our time and energy talking about political fixes, be they Sanders, Clinton, or Trump, or think that the social compassion alone will resolve matters of economic and racial injustice, then are we not as a church complicit in fostering an increasingly decadent and inhuman society? I think that we as American Christians have been so bought out by a wrong kind of Christian nationalism that we don't even think that the first conversation we as kingdom citizens should have is about the word of God and the worldview in which accountability is woven into this world from the very beginning, even before it was tainted by sin. At any rate, what should we as Christians do? Yes, we should enter the dialogue. Yes, we should seek short-term solutions that take into account the fact that we live in a society where believers and unbelievers must get along. But we must not be that short-sighted that we look at social and political solutions first. Deeper than social and political solutions for the kingdom citizen, we must take a deep look at how we as a community of faith live together under God's law and walk together in the kind of accountable culture that God designed from the beginning. If we are truly going to see the nation change, we must get back to a true culture of accountability and a culture of accountability that is rooted in the concept of an eternal source of law. Since we know that conviction cannot happen apart from the Holy Spirit, it means that those of us who are born again, we must model this amongst ourselves and then multiply communities as fast as we can, all the while serving our society as chaplains and conversation partners in which we can come with humility and explore short-term answers. In the short term, we can respond in compassion and humility. But for the long term, we as a church need to get back to what it means to truly walk under the Lordship of Jesus. That sort of sets me up for this message, which probably tells you that it's not going to be a ooey-gooey message. Gooey grace. Give me a gooey grace message, Steve. I like the gooey grace stuff. Sorry. But before I go to the gooey grace part, or the not-so-gooey grace part. Let me tell you what I felt for you guys. When I was praying four days ago for Lakeside, because Nancy and I really hold your pastors in high esteem, and all of you, some of you we've known for a long time, it was a very simple picture, a simple word, but here it is. I believe that God 
is calling Lakeside Assembly of God to once again see its purpose as being a beacon of light. I know this is a familiar picture, and you've probably heard this before, but this is very much Lakeside's calling to be a lighthouse in days to come. Don't be surprised if people come to you, even broken pastors coming to you on the verge of shipwreck. Don't be afraid of the many God wants to send on the verge of shipwreck, for you will be a people that will light the way to safe harbor. I got the sense that there might be some, maybe some who've been here a while, and with anything, there is a flagging of doing well. There is a weariness in well-doing. And after a while, we say, okay, so what are we doing this for? I will tell you, Lakeside's always had this anointing, but even more so going forward. A beacon of light, a clarion megaphone of truth, as I saw these young people exhibit this morning. God has raised you up to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of life, but mostly a lighthouse of truth. And as God is going to, God's going to send shipwrecked people to you a whole lot in the days, to, days ahead. And he wants to use you, every single one of you, as a lighthouse to bring shipwrecked people into wholeness in Jesus. Simple word, but it really rekindles something in me for you. Be that beacon. Be that lighthouse. I am, um, in thinking about the whole idea of consequences, I was asked by my wife recently, she said, um, honey, are, are we in our pastoring, are, are we seeing people come into wholeness? Are we seeing people come into a greater sense of victory in their own lives? And I began to think about this not too long ago. I said, God, are we, as your children, coming into a greater sense of victory and wholeness, joy that is ours by right as children of, of the king? I began to wonder. And as I wondered, this thought came to me. And I, I, I applied it to myself, but I think it applies to all of us. Is my spirituality in 2016 going to be enough for me in 2018? Is my walk with God now enough for what's coming? It, it, the, walk of, the walk with God you had in 2010, back then it might have been fine. Now, the pressures of life, even more. The dangers that beset us, even greater. And we think about going deeper and higher and broader with God. Is this not a time for us to take stock and say, Lord, is there a place higher, deeper, wider with you that I must go to prepare for 2018, 2019? Should Jesus tarry 2020? That's the thing that began to pulse within me. And as I began to think about that, I began to think of a story Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 25 when he was talking about the end of days. I don't know when the end of days are. I can tell you this, that we are closer to the end of days now than ever before, and it sure feels like the end of days. But here's what I do know. People say, well, you know what? 
There's always trauma. There's always difficulty. There's always challenge. Look at through the annals of the human race. There's always stuff that everybody goes through. There's war. There's rumors of war. There's sickness. All of that has happened. Yes, but Jesus gave us a picture in the parable of the wheat and the weeds. When he talked about the farmer going out into his field and sowing the seed and up come the wheat, but also weeds come with them. And what happens? The servants asked the, the master, they said, should we go and should we weed out the weeds? He said, no, let both mature unto the end of days. Let both mature until the final harvest. For if you weed now, you'll, you'll root out the wheat. And what that tells me is that when Jesus said that, he was giving us a worldview that understands the world as increasingly evil generation after generation. I can safely say from a biblical standpoint that the generation we live in now is more, more challenging, more traumatic, more morally evil than any other generation before us. Should Jesus tarry, the next generation even more so. He said, why do you say that? I say that because sin is not static. Sin doesn't just stay there and stay sin. It grows. Sin grows until it destroys. When I think of consequences, when I think of my own life, when I think about the, uh, the question I was asking myself, is my walk with you, Lord, I love you, and you know I love you, but is my walk with you adequate for where we're going? I came to this story in Matthew 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of the bridesmaids rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterwards, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, you know, Jesus, in these stories, he tells three quite alarming stories in this whole discourse with his disciples. They're asking him about the end of time. And so as he's talking about the end of time and the signs that accompany those times, he tells three stories. And each story is kind of, wow, pretty dramatic in its ending. In this story, we have ten bridesmaids, five foolish, five wise. But here's the thing. They were all bridesmaids. They all had oil. They all had a heart to go meet the bridegroom. It's all, I mean, you don't see any difference. You don't, I mean, these five that were foolish weren't casual Christians. They weren't just kind of, oh, churchgoers now and then. They were fervent. Oh, good, we're going to go meet the bridegroom. How cool is this? And the five wise took extra oil. The five foolish did not. But they all went to the place where they're going to meet the bridegroom. How cool is this? They are ready. Oh, yes, I'm ready. I've got my bells on ready. But something happens. There is a delay. There is something that was unforeseen. They could not have seen what was about to happen, a delay that changed everything. It was an inconvenience. But it was an inconvenience that led to trauma. Because when they woke, at the sound of 
the bridegroom is coming, the five who were foolish realized, oh wow, we've, we've run out of oil. Give us some of your oil, they say to the other five. And at that point, there's no leaning on the church. There's no leaning on the fellowship of the saints. There's no leaning on who, oh, I'm just, brother, can you help me out? There is coming a time where every single Christian believer is going to have to stand before Jesus by himself or herself fully, fully in the power of the Holy Spirit themselves, not able to rely on any church or any fellowship or any other saints. I'm telling you, friends, that's the way it's going to be at the end. And you might say, well, maybe the end's not going to happen for a couple hundred years. Listen. The present age is evil. It's evil enough for you, and nobody's going to be able to stand in this age, whether this is the last age or not. Nobody's going to be able to stand in this age unless we have brought extra oil into this situation and circumstance, into our social construct this day. If we don't understand what it means to bring extra oil, I'm afraid, dear ones, we might find ourselves hearing, oh no, the door is shut. Lord, Lord, it's us. You'd think, you'd think, that when the bridegroom comes and the five are out of oil, I mean, these love, they love Jesus. So the bridegroom comes and the five wise, they go, listen, listen, bridegroom, listen, listen. They ran out of oil. Can we just, just wait, just wait, just a few minutes. Give them time to go to the dealers to get some oil. Jesus, meek and mild, shepherd-hearted Jesus, come and just love, love on them. And Jesus says, No. While they're gone, the door is shut. Sorry, I never knew you. What about the next, you know, the next story? We're not going to read the next story, but the next story of the investments. Story of the investments. So the master gives one guy five talents, the other guy two talents, and you know the story because the, the last guy, one talent. The other guys, they invest their talents wisely. The third guy just doesn't do anything bad. He's not wicked. He's not evil, although the master, when he comes home, calls him evil. Why? Because he just buried his talent. Passivity cost him everything. And so, well, all right. The master comes home, and gentle Jesus, meek and mild, shepherd-hearted Jesus. Oh, he didn't do anything that bad. He just buried his talent. And Jesus says, take his talent, give it to the one who has five, who'd made ten. And take this man and cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen, you can argue with me if you don't like the... And most of the time when I come to Lakeside, I'm giving you encouraging messages. So you give me some grace. You can say, oh, well, you know what? That's not, the Bible doesn't mean that these days. The Bible, people see the Bible differently. Don't bet your life on it. We either believe in the authority of Scripture or we don't. If we believe in the authority of Scripture, we've got to take what it says. In the third story, the one who is passive is cast into outer darkness. In the first story, which I haven't even read, I mean, the faithful steward. Who is the faithful steward? He is the one who is able to feed his fellow servants in my absence and works in faithfulness and wisdom. And then the other servants who don't simply feed the other servants in faithfulness and wisdom are called lazy. And we know what Jesus says to them? The master says, oh, cut them up in little pieces. Three stories in a row. The end of one, cut them up in little pieces, throw them into, throw them into hell, story number two, the door is shut, you never get in. Story number three, okay, take his talent, give it to another, and you know what? 
sent him into, in, in, into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, I don't think we are, listen, for those of you who know history, I know your pastor does very, very well. We wonder now in the 21st century, how on earth could anybody respond to a Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? What kind of a, what kind of a weird thing is that? Back in the First Great Awakening, what, 1734, here's this little Jonathan Edwards, you know, reading from a manuscript, you know. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, we, we're too sophisticated to talk about that. Listen, if, if Jesus is talking about these kinds of consequences... What does he know that I don't know? He must be, he's using such alarming language. What does he know that I don't know? I tell you what he knows. He knows the destructiveness of sin. And it's love that tries to rattle our cage until our teeth rattle in our head. If we can get it through that sin destroys, it's not to be trifled with. I was preaching in a conference some years ago in Washington, D.C., and I was preaching, and, and it was uh, about 700 people there and, and, uh, one evening. And in the middle of my sermon, Pastor, some guy started screaming. Just screaming. Mom, I first, you know, Pastor Phil and I, we're, we're, we're of the same cloth. You know, anybody, shut it down, quick, shut it down. So my first impulse was, shut it down. And, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, no, let him scream. Let him scream and preach through it. So I did. He went screaming for about another 10 minutes, then he, then he calmed down finally. People were all around him trying to settle him down. Well, afterwards, how many of you know you'd be curious, wouldn't you? Right? So I'm curious. After the whole evening, we had a marvelous move of God. and all. But afterwards, I went and I said, what's with this guy? What, what kind of a weird mobile was this guy? He was screaming in the middle of my message. Come to find out, he was a respected deacon in one of the participating churches. Most people knew him. And do you know why he was screaming? While I was preaching, and I was preaching a pretty encouraging message, had nothing to do with my message. He just got a vision right there, right there. And, and, and this is what he was screaming. He was screaming, my people don't understand the destructiveness of sin. My people don't understand the destructiveness of sin. My people don't understand. The and he had a vision of how sin destroys. And it so, so moved him. He, was, he, he screamed for about 15 minutes in the middle of a message. You see, we, 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 we live in a culture where consequences are muted, where consequences are minimized. Listen, I mean, I can take my iPhone, right, and I can, I can go and take pictures. I don't like that picture. I delete it. You know, what, you know where it puts it? It puts it in a folder that I've got 30 days to decide if I want to be really deleted. Back in the old day, if, 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 if you exposed your film, it was, you're done. It's, you know, actual film and it's exposed, up. Oh, you lost it. There were consequences. Technology is trying to minimize consequence so much that it's lulling all people to a place of stupor and passivity that is destructive. And the Lord wants to rattle our cage and say, wake up, don't, flu don't flirt with sin. Don't fool around with sin. When you see the attitude of offense, go after it. When you see jealousy, go after it. When you're angry with somebody, forgive quick. Deal with sin quickly. It'll, it'll take a life of its own and it will destroy you. I'm, I, I am very concerned about the body of Christ in America who has fallen prey to a, to a message of such easy, facile grace. I, listen, 
I have been transformed by the message of grace. My wife will tell you, transformed by grace. I didn't know grace when I was a youth pastor. My poor kids. I discovered grace after I was a youth pastor. We had a great youth group, but they were all insecure. I, I love the message of grace, but I tell you, there's a, there's a message of greasy grace going around right now that denies the reality of consequence. Well, give me five more minutes. I want to just share with you five, five simple things to do. I know I can do this in five minutes because I've done it in the last two services. Five simple things that you can do to take extra oil. What's disconcerting about this story is that these ten foolish bridesmaids, they wanted the bridegroom as much as the, the wise. They wanted to follow as much as the wise. They wanted to hear the sound of the bridegroom coming as much as the wise. They had oil at the front end of their journey as much as the wise. Their lamps were burning just like the wise. The one difference, they didn't take extra oil. So how do we take extra oil? Number one, if you are satisfied with your spiritual life, act unsatisfied. You see, what do you mean by that? You might pray 10 minutes a day, then start praying 20. You might read the word twice a week, then start reading it three times a week. You might, you, you, you might spend time in worship every now and then. I would do it every day. See, yeah, but I'm, I feel, I'm feeling pretty good about my life. The Lord's answering my prayer. I love Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that your spiritual life now isn't going to prepare you for 2017 and 2018. Get, get the extra oil now. There's a friend of mine. He's gone to be with the Lord. I, I don't know if Pastor Phil will remember him. He was a traveling speaker, J.B. Oaks, and he had a statement. I love this statement. He said, I am satisfied with a dissatisfied satisfaction. There is a satisfaction in being dissatisfied. Stir it up. You say, well, this is works. Yeah, of course it's works. Yes, work. That's not grace. Don't give me that. Work out your salad. Listen, grace. You know what grace is? Grace. Grace is going to Mary Magdalene and saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's grace. Grace is Jesus setting free a demoniac, but then saying, if that demon-possessed person doesn't furnish the interior of his life with the fruit of the Spirit and starts walking like Jesus, seven times as many demons will come and take residence with him. That's grace as well. See, grace is not just 50 gazillion chances. Grace says God loves you and gives you chance after chance, but there is a consequence and there is a deadline. Don't flirt with it. That's grace too. All right, number two. Develop a habit of responding to truth immediately. See, we don't know the unforeseen sudden hardship, the unforeseen hit you may take. Suddenly your faith in God is shaken and you feel like your circumstances are burying you. I feel, and, and, and hear, hear me when I'm saying this as a pastor, I feel like there are too many believers in constant rounds of therapy trying, trying to keep their head above water. That is so far beneath the privilege you have as saints of the Most High, so far beneath the privilege of sons and daughters. Listen, you, you can walk in victory, but I tell you, here's one big secret. When you hear truth, like you're hearing truth right now, when you hear truth, apply it immediately. Yeah. 
pr pray it into your spirit. So you're hearing something. Then right now you should be saying, Holy Spirit, yeah, get that in me. Get that in my heart. Yes, yes, God, do it. I believe it. Yes, get it in my heart. Act on it immediately. When we hear and don't do, we become calloused. We become cold. We become unable. We become calcified. We become bound and unable to respond in truth. Respond in truth immediately. Number three, recognize the signs of low oil now. What are the signs of low oil? Here's some signs. Maybe you're lukewarm about enjoying fellowship with other believers. Maybe you're lukewarm about sharing your faith with those who are far away from God. Maybe you've lost your fervency in worship. Maybe you have little joy and simple obedience. You know, just the, just the other day, I got back from our break. We took a break in June, and, and uh, I had a task I had to do. And how, how many of you are faced with tasks you don't like to do, you don't want to do? Sure. I'm faced with this. Okay, this is like two weeks ago. God, I don't want to do this. It was going to be a, a several-hour task, it was, and it was not just a house chore. I'm pretty good at house chores, so some of you wives are saying, oh, I know what it was. He didn't want to clean up the house. No, 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 no. It was a ministry thing. There are ministry things I don't like either. I don't want to do that, Lord. I don't care who it blesses. I don't want to do it. I mean, they're just, that's true. I'm just being human. <laughs> All right? Okay. So there was something that was going to take several hours. Okay. And I do it out of discipline. The Lord said, don't do it out of discipline. Do it out of worship. Now, actually, that, that jazzed me. Because I, I frame these things, okay, i got to be disciplined. It takes the joy out of it. Instead, every one of these things become acts of worship. Don't worry about trying to get it done so you can get onto your pleasure. That, that hard step of obedience right now can be pleasure if it's worship. And that's what God says. This is worship to me if you let it, if you frame it as worship. But if we don't have a fervency about simple obedience, it's a sign of low oil. See, when you're, obviously, you know, you're, you're driving your car. What happens when that little, that little, that little red light comes on in your, your, your dash? And it says, it says, whatever it says. It says, it indicates you've got to get oil. Put oil. I mean, I know because I burned out an engine before. My wife will tell you. I learned this the hard way many years ago. When that oil light comes on, you better act. A lot of, see, a lot of believers don't recognize the signs of low oil. They just kind of keep going until all of a sudden they're burnt out, have little heart for Jesus and wonder why. Wonder why people backslide because they didn't take extra oil when they had a chance. Number four, pray and praise when things are going good. Pray and praise when things were going good. See, the five wise bridesmaids, I think they had developed a habit of recognizing low oil and were in the habit of always taking extra oil. They didn't just take extra oil that time. They were in the habit of it. The five foolish never were. And I don't, you know, I, don't think, I don't think that the five wise bridesmaids said, oh, 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 we better take extra oil because the groom might be delayed. They had a habit of taking extra oil. You reap what you sow. If you sow to the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 6, you will reap life. If in the good times you pray and praise, you are making deposits in your inner life so that when the hard and challenging times come, it will bubble forth in greater joy and life. But when things are good, we say, hey, things are good. Let's go do some fun. Sure, I'm all for fun. But a lot of times we don't take those good moments and sow and make deposits into our spiritual account. And then 
we hit the wall and we try to draw on stuff that is not there. Pray and praise when things are good. Finally, recognize that God often uses disappointment to show he wants to go deeper with us. He often uses disappointment to show that he wants to go deeper with us. You know, I, I think I look at this story, the delight, I mean, the delight was hard. And by the way, you know, the 10 bridesmaids are not condemned for going to sleep. No condemnation there. The, the brides, see, the bridegroom understood the drowsy. He understood the going to sleep because there was delay. All they needed was extra oil. See, I know a lot of Christians, okay, got to stay awake, got to stay awake. Listen, take the pressure off of trying to be such a good Christian and then try to be a good Christian. <laughs> but you see, that's, that's a paradox. Well, see, that's the thing. Jesus is not condemning the bridesmaids for falling asleep because there are going to be times where you will flag. There are times that you will be discouraged. There are times that you're going to be disappointed with God. There are times you're going to be inconvenienced. And I got, a, I got news for you. God will inconvenience you. And God will allow discomfort and suffering. And God will not always answer your prayers on your time. He said, but, 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 but God is a God of love. Of course he is. That's why he doesn't answer you all the time. It's come on. Where's the catch? Isn't it true? Isn't it true that you want to be loved for who you are? Isn't it true that with your family or your friends, don't you say, man, I, I just want you to love me for who I am. We as parents, you know, we, we, we give our kids maybe an allowance of 50 cents a week or $10 a month or something. But we say, don't, don't, don't love us for the allowance. Just love us for who we are. God's the same way. He wants to be loved for who he is. So in order to test our hearts, he will inconvenience us. He will allow suffering. He will allow discomfort. He will not answer your prayer every time. And he will see, do they love me for me or for what I do? See, God's a person. And that's he wants it. That's worth, that, that's worth shouting glory over, sister. You were exactly right. Come on. Come on. God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he's willing to inconvenience you and not answer your prayer in order to bring you close to his heart. Now, will we be the bridesmaids take extra oil? That's the question. You say, Steve, kind of bring it down to a summary. It's just simply this. Your spiritual life, my spiritual life, where we are right now, may most likely not be adequate for where we're going. Where we're going is a greater maturity of evil, but we're going to a greater maturity of good. We're going to a greater, a greater maturity of wrong and trauma, injustice, but the kingdom folks, we're going to rise and be that city on a hill, that beacon, that lighthouse. And I tell you what, in these days, what an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to harvest untold thousands of people who are being shipwrecked, and that's the call right for Lakeside. But let's make sure we're taking the extra oil now so that as society collapses around us, we as people, I'm, t I'm telling you, I, I, I don't have time to get into it, I'm telling you, listen, we are kingdom citizens. We are kingdom citizens. I was talking to my friend uh, 
African-American bishop, Bishop Joey Johnson. We're very close friends. He's the brother I never had. He, he's a bishop in Akron. And we, we, are, we are kingdom folk. He was Moody, Moody Radio's pastor of the year a few years ago. He and I share a lot of stuff. He's preaching my pulpit. And I tell you what, when you get the kingdom, when the people get the kingdom of God, it goes, it go, oh, Jesus, it gets far above it goes, up, it goes beyond the gender discussion. It goes beyond the race discussion. It goes beyond all that stuff. I'm telling you, friends, we are in a kingdom. We are in a kingdom of the king of kings in whom there is no male or female, in whom there is no, no ethnicity. And by the way, I'm proud. I'm proud of all the ethnic groups that God has created because every single one of them have redemptive gifts. Thank God for the African-American community. Thank God for the Hispanic community. Thank God for the Asian community. Thank God for the gifts that every single race has to give to humanity. But I tell you, we're going to have a kingdom one of these days and be in a heaven where we're not going to be known by the color of our skin. We're not going to be known by our gender. We're going to be known as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And I tell you what, friends, if anybody has a chance to transcend it now in this culture, in our nation, to rise above the social and political fray, it is us as Jesus followers to show a kingdom that will not end. Stand on your feet and let's give the Lord a clap offering and praise Him and bless Him. God, we thank You. We praise You. Oh, thank You. I want to go to the, go to the keyboard. Just stay standing if you would. If you can respond to the Lord, if you can respond to Jesus, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful. If you can say in your heart of hearts, yes, Lord, yes, I want to be one that takes extra oil now. I want to be, I want to be wise. God, help me to drill down deeper, go higher, go wider. Lord, I don't want to be just satisfied with where I am. Lord, I stir myself up to lay hold of my most holy faith. I stir myself up, oh God, because I love you, because I want to be there with extra oil. When the bridegroom says, I am here, I want to be there. Lord, if you can say that, if you can say that in your heart of hearts, then open your voice, open your mouth, and sing from the top of your lungs. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together lovely. 